0: Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. If you would join me in Psalm 46 this morning, we're going to begin a series on... uh, on prayer and, and kind of following up, I've, I've kind of planned this or felt the Lord leading us in this direction for many months now and, and is beginning to understand a little bit more why, having dealt with uh, the summer and the questions that ar- arise from that, and learning how to walk in humility and how to navigate our, our days and our, and our culture, and how God's faithfulness never changes, His standard never changes, and, and learning what it looks like to tap into His character and nature, it makes sense that we're dealing with with prayer. And so, you know, I think the number one question is, we learn from God's character and nature, God knows everything. He is omniscient. He knows everything. Uh, Nothing can happen or will happen that God doesn't already know full well. And so, if that's the case, then why pray? And that's a question that I've asked almost Every day of my Christian life, especially when you take into consideration the commandments to pray, where God commands us to to pray and to pour our hearts out to him and to commune with him and to spend time with him uh, in, in prayer, and you think about God in his, in his promises to us, you know sometimes man, prayer is difficult, and most people that you would ask. I mean, I'm going to ask the question, don't answer, but, man, are you satisfied with your prayer life? I mean, are you are you convinced that your prayers and your prayer life is exactly what God wants from you and that it's accomplishing in you and for you what God intended prayer to be and to do? And truth of the matter is, if we were honest, most of us would say... No, I really feel like I'm pretty terrible at prayer or prayer is a pretty terrible thing because the things that God says in His Word, it just I don't see it manifesting in my life. For instance, when God says uh, that He's near to the brokenhearted. You know, when God feels far away, we just wonder. I mean, our prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. Uh, I don't know if God's even hearing me. And if, God, if I don't feel confident that God is hearing me, then my prayer life becomes less confident and... He says he's near to the brokenhearted, but let's be honest. Anybody in there ever been brokenhearted? How close does God feel when you're brokenhearted? Forever away, right? But but Matthew says that you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? It's the very first thing we find out about Jesus in the New Testament, that his name is God with us. And just before Jesus left, he said, Surely I'll be with you always. So I mean His life is bookended with, I will be with you. But so often we don't feel His nearness. We don't feel His presence. And so He he asks us to step out on faith. And we do that not because of how we feel. Prayer would be super easy if we felt it all the time. But we don't feel it. So we have to step out on faith and believe His Word instead of how we feel and trusting Him. And so we learn to develop a sense of His promises and a sense of receiving His promises as we spend time in prayer, not based on how we feel. And now, in in our current culture, everything is based upon feelings. And we have to be very, very careful about that. Prayer is, as Scripture would tell us, the power of our everyday life. It is truly sitting in unity with God. It is not God... So let me just break some, some of this down uh, th- this way. Often, when we think about God's love for us, we see God through the sun leaving heaven and coming to earth. And we see ourselves then as the apple of God's eye. And God loves me so much that He would come to me. And while that is true, Jesus coming to us was not the goal. Us spending a relationship with Him was the goal. Jesus came, and as a byproduct, I can be in His presence. Him being in my presence is not the goal. And so if, you, if, if our prayer life revolves around you know, bringing God into my life, we've missed it Prayer is about learning how to drive our life into His presence and sitting in unity with Him, not asking Him to be in unity with us. I think sometimes we have it completely backwards. The word prayer in English actually comes from a Latin root. The word is precarious. It's where we get our English word. Anybody want to guess? Precarious. What does precarious mean? It means not securely held or not securely in position. It means dangerously likely to fall or collapse. It means to be dependent upon chance or to be uncertain. Now the word is an adjective which means it describes. It's not the thing itself, it describes. And so if we're not careful, we will think that prayer is... A dangerous place of failure. Or that prayer is uncertain. And so, you know, I don't know if God's hearing me or not. I'm just praying. In other words, I'm just chancing that, you know, this whole thing is, you know, uh, prayer is just going to fail. No, it's an adjective, which means it's describing the action. So... Precarious is not the prayer. Precarious is the place in life that we get to and it drives us to prayer. So when my life is falling apart, when it is likely to fail, when I am desperate, when I am struggling, when I don't know what else to do, I pray. But I think it's deeper than that. I don't think God only wants to hear from us and to commune with us when we are desperate. I think He wants For those who call themselves Christ, I think what God is wanting is for us to live in constant communion with Him. Because I don't think we realize how precarious our life is. Just because you feel like you're in control, realize this. Your life is constantly desperate apart from God. Always, no matter what you're leaning on, you are always in a precarious situation. This is why Paul tells us that we should always be living in prayer. Pray always in every every moment. Things get in our way though, doesn't it? I mean, we intend to pray. We know prayer is important. Scripture, I mean, just replete with prayer, 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 and the power that comes from the wisdom of God and knowing what to do next and knowing how to speak and how to, you know, what moment demands what action and all of these sorts of things. Scripture is very clear that we we arrive at those places from prayer, but boy, it just seems like the longer we live on planet Earth, the more difficult prayer is. Things get in the way. I think about science and technology. Uh, You know, and and I'm not going to be a I'm not going to yell about all of that this morning, but. I do think that science and technology has really... There was a time not too long ago where if there was a drought or farmers needed it to rain, they would go out into their fields and they would get on their knees and they would ask God to make it rain. That wasn't that long ago. Now, we study low-pressure fronts, right? We dig irrigation canals. We know how to do those things. We actually take medical particles and seed them up into clouds so it will rain. We know all of that. When's the last time a farmer prayed for rain? We don't, we don't really need God to make it rain anymore. We can make it rain ourselves, right? If I didn't have something in my hand, I'd make it rain right now. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. I appreciate that. Not that long ago, uh, if your child became sick, what would you do? You would pray. But now, we try to find the specialist with the right medication. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with those things. Those are right things. But we don't have to pray like we used to pray about things. We don't have to depend upon God like we used to have to depend upon God for certain things. There's also a lot of skepticism in, in our lives. We're so informed by the goings-on of the things around the world. You used to. It would, there would be a hurricane or a tsunami on the other side of the world. We never knew about it. But now we hear about them so often. I mean, hundreds in A year. And we say, wow, what can prayer do against that? We, they're everywhere. Things are getting worse and worse and worse. And so we, we give up. We used to pray about it. I remember a time not too long ago, uh, you know, 15 years or so. There was a hurricane headed straight for the Virgin Islands. And at the church we were at in Nashville, Tennessee, we had a girl from our church that actually taught at the school there. And her brother was still in our church. And he came in and he said, listen, there's a hurricane headed right toward the school. Uh, And so what we decided to do was to spend a few moments as a church in prayer before Bible study. And we prayed that God would reroute that hurricane and save that school. And uh, after church was over, we were all still kind of there. He had heard from his sister that, believe it or not, you know what happened? The hurricane shifted directions. And I think the Christian school was without power for like 10 minutes. So enough of us were still there. I called everybody together and I said, hey, you guys aren't going to believe this. This is what God did. While we were praying, this thing rerouted. And one of the guys said, see there, we didn't have to pray after all. (laughs) (laughs) What good will prayer do against a nuclear threat? What good would prayer do against terrorism? I mean, after all... If God were going to not allow it, surely He wouldn't have allowed it last time. So, why pray? God already knows what He's going to do, so we become pretty defeatist in it. And by the way, we're only scratching the surface this morning. We're not giving total answers. Prosperity sometimes, I think, dilutes uh, dilutes our prayers too. Christians in developing countries spend a lot less time pondering the effectiveness of prayer, and they spend a lot more time actually praying. I can tell you that I've been to developing countries, many of them. Their prayer groups look different than ours. Go to the Ivory Coast and you see Christians praying. Boy, it sounds not just the language, but it sounds a lot differently. It's really hard to pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread when we don't even have to go to the grocery store, we just go to the pantry. It's hard for us to really be desperate for God to provide when we could live out of our own houses for weeks without replenishing. Increasing time pressures also crowd out that leisurely pace that prayer seems to require. I mean, you think about it. You know, communication keeps getting shorter and shorter and shorter. We used to write letters, then notes. Then we went from writing emails to texts to now we can't even say, just kidding, it takes too long. LOL. (laughs) (laughs) And if we were to write formally to someone, we have a spell check because we can't have time to proofread our own work. It's interesting how communication has changed. And so the very things that are supposed to give us more time has actually robbed time from us. And again, I'm not beating these things up. I'm just telling you, they are they are vying for our attention. And so we have to be even more intentional than ever before. We have less and less time for conversation, let alone contemplation. And so what we begin to do is we just put it on the back burner. And if I get up in the morning and man, life is hurried, and let's be honest, when is it not? You get up and you know what you got to do. And so you get at it quick and you push snooze already several times. So you've already burned up those nine minutes. And so you get to work and you go at it and you're hard and you think to yourself, I know, I'll put that off. Prayer will always be there, right? God will always be there. The Bible will always be there. And so I'll do that later. I'll do that later. I'll do that later. And you get to the end of the day and there's one thing we want to do, and that's just tap out. We have this constant sensation of not enough. Or we have this constant fear of missing out on something that's happening to someone somewhere and we want to be in on it. We can't just be alone. Think about that. We hate silence. We go from having music occasionally... Having the TV on while we watch it too often. How many of you ever have your TV on and you're not watching it at all? Or music, there's speakers everywhere. Because we can't even walk in the park without music. You drop your kids off, there's music playing. So that as soon as they get to school, there's this. This activity going on because we can't stand. We can't stand silence. And now you go to certain places like even restaurants and, and people who are clearing off the tables got earphones in their ear. They can't even be at work without having some sort of a distraction because I'm telling you, when we're silent, we're scared. Because we don't like what we have to think about. We're fearful of silence. So we just keep putting it off. Putting it off and putting it off. We are becoming more spiritual. Millennials, I'm not bad-mouthing millennials. I think they're awesome. I really do. we got to just learn how to, how to understand where they're coming from. And I, I really believe they're going to be God's blessing to us. Um, I think God's, God's up to something. And also, I've been studying a lot about that. I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek. And I think Generation Y and Generation Z, man, these are going to be... I mean, if, we, if the church today can figure out what God is doing in their life, uh, it's going to be something special. Now, i say all of that to get back to this. Uh, millennial generation um, is increasingly spiritual and much less Christian. A lot of it has to do with not being taught how to pray and how to study truth. We taught them that truth doesn't really exist except in the person. And so you can just create your own truth. And so you hear people say things like, well, that's your truth, that's not my truth. Like, truth is not transferable. So while we are becoming more spiritual and more reflective, we're not becoming more prayerful. If we do choose to look inward and bear our souls, rather than going to prayer, we hire therapists. We go to support groups. We need a support group for everything. And while there is good benefit in that under certain circumstances, a lot of times we can look at a therapist that we're paying, and if they don't agree with us, we'll find another one. Or we go to a therapist because we can at least see them nodding or shaking their head immediately. But sometimes when you pray, I don't know what God's thinking. And I don't have time to wait. Or to a support group, the same way. I want to not be taught or to stand, I want to have someone commiserate with me and you can't find that in prayer. We actually select our friends based on who will agree with us. That's certainly a lot better than wondering, is anybody really listening to me in my silence? So I grew up in northeastern Kentucky and uh, there's a I everywhere, everywhere that we lived, the two places uh had a little creek beside the house and so i'd uh, love I love playing in the creeks and and uh, and uh anyway so I, but there's something I was thinking taught me I learned a lot about prayer just recently thinking about this If we're not careful, we turn prayer into the same way so we we go out into the to the creek. And you look upstream, and if you're not careful, this is where all of the things, all of the water is coming from that single direction. And so I sit there, and I look at my current circumstances, right? This just just pay attention for a second. This is a terrible illustration, but it's the best one I've got. So if, I, if I'm not careful, if prayer is going to be there for a moment. I was thinking back, actually, Isaac and I last year, we went to Scotland, and we went to one of the family... Uh, Castles, campbell castle and and on the side of there was this creek and it carved out a ravine and so we had a few extra minutes and and uh, we actually literally ran to try to find the source of the stream because this stream i can just see my little baby grandparents playing out there in the water and having to go get water for the family castle and all those sorts of things and so uh, uh, we decided we were going to go up to the source of it and as far as we had time to get to was this big massive waterfall and I thought, wow, that's so funny because the time it gets down here, it looks much differently than this big, massive channel of water, right? If we're not careful, we turn we turn uh, prayer into this very same thing. We pray downstream, looking upstream, and we tell we are we only engaging it by our circumstances. But it looks much different when you get up to the source of the stream, where every blessing originates, right? And so prayer is like that. I think we look at Scripture and we can see that Scripture nowhere tells us to pray based upon our own selfish circumstances. It always tells us to commune with the source of all blessing, all love, all grace, all mercy. We go to the beginning, to the the source of that, and then we can get His perspective on everything. Otherwise, I'm downstream and can only focus on this moment. But if I, in prayer, commune with the will of the Father and the character and nature of the Father, then and only then am I able to see what He might want to do. And so what we've got to do is we've got to learn to shift from praying downstream and learn to spend time with God where by then, instead of worrying about our circumstances, we can worry about being the conduit of His blessing and of His glory. And of His love and of His mercy. We don't start at the end and make a decision, and we push everything up. I mean, if I'm in my circumstances, I'm look, I'm looking up to the source, and I'm telling, you know, I'm telling the source what I need, and that's what most of us have turned prayer into. We look at God and say, "I need, I need, I need, I need." Look where I'm standing. I'm about to get wiped away. I'm about to get washed off. I need, I need. But prayer is really about. Seeing life from God's perspective and remembering what we have. If we could get to the source of prayer and sit in unity with the Father, then we'd be able to say, I have, I have, I have, I have. And then we know how to navigate our circumstance without having to be desperate about our circumstance. That's what prayer was always designed to be, not a place where you could be more comfortable in your moment but a place where you could see God working despite every moment. Prayer is not about asking God to be more like me or to think like me or to conform to my will. Prayer is about me learning how to conform to His will. And now all of a sudden, instead of saying, I need blessing, I need forgiveness, I need mercy, I need, I need, it's about me learning how to be up here and being a conduit or a source of His blessing. Instead of me worried about my moment, I can worry about giving Him glory and honor and praise and blessing and every little nook and cranny down the stream I'm offering and I'm serving and I'm loving and I'm being gracious and I'm being merciful and I'm being forgiving and I'm being patient and I'm being long-suffering. And that's what prayer was always designed to be. Not designed for your moment. It was designed for you to extend His life into everyone's moment. Prayer wasn't designed to reinforce selfishness, but to remove self altogether and just flow with the life and the Spirit of the Father. We have that availability. Jesus is the one who unlocked the door for us. The Holy Spirit, you know how prayer works. We pray in the Spirit because Paul said, you don't know how you ought to pray. Finally, somebody admitted it. Don't know how to do it. So when you don't know how to pray, or since you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit will pray for you. So I'm going to pray, and I'm probably praying downstream. And the Holy Spirit, as I'm praying, as I'm communing, as I'm learning the character and nature of God, I am slowly shifting. I pray in the Spirit, and the Spirit begins to take my prayer and makes it something that's a little bit more godly. It changes my perspective. But then I get to the character of the Father and I can't approach because of my sinful nature. And so I've claimed the nature of Jesus Christ. He's the one who unlocked the the throne room for me. So I pray. That's why we don't pray in the name of the Father. We don't pray in the name of the Spirit. The Spirit carries our prayer. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ because it's the name of Jesus Christ that opened up the throne room door for sons and daughters of God. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. But I'm praying to the Father. Because He is the source. It is His will. Everything is His will and according to His purpose. He uses the sun to unlock it and He uses the spirit to convey it to Himself. That's what prayer is. It's me recognizing where I am and moving to where He is so that I can see my perspective from His point of view. Now, let me say this one more time. Prayer is about Him moving me from what I can see, to seeing it the way He sees it. Prayer is not about me asking God to see it from my perspective and to do something about it. Turn over to Psalm... We are already at Psalm 46, I believe. We're just going to get started this morning. This is why I think... Paul said that we should pray without ceasing. Is because you know how long it takes me to do this. So, okay, here's me praying selfishly in my circumstance. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. I can't. I'm broke. I don't have. I don't have. I need, I need, I need, right? This, and slowly, as I, as I take my eyes off of my circumstances and I put my eyes on the provider, the protector, the originator, the source, my whole, Well, wait a minute. You know, God uses broken things to change us. God uses broken things. God uses sick things. God uses the feeble things of this world to teach us Christ's likeness. And we pray against things that God would use in our life to make us more like Him. And so as I recognize that, I'm able to look, my, look unto Jesus and I'm able to begin to think and see more like He sees. You know how long it takes me to move from seeing my circumstances to seeing from God's perspective? how long it takes me to shift back to seeing my circumstances, I've timed it. It's half a second. It does not take me very long. And it's all day long. It's selfish. uh, That's about how long it takes. Anybody else? Okay, good. Thank you. We're going to have a support group later and talk about that. (laughs) I have to remind myself over and over and over and over and over to see it from His perspective, not mine. Jesus told His disciples, the three of them, who went a little bit further into the garden, He said to them, uh, "You know, Terry and pray here for an hour. I'm going to go over here and pray. And Jesus is praying and He's pouring His heart out to the Lord. I mean, His, his tears are even drops of blood. He's, he's agonizing over prayer. Seeing this thing from the Father's perspective. And you remember what Jesus said. Let this cup pass for me. But... Not my will, but yours be done. Even Jesus had to learn, Scripture tells us, learn obedience because Jesus had never had to be obedient before. He had always been one with the Father and he was learning obedience. Not my will, but yours be done. And so he took his eyes off the cross for a second and he saw me and you were at stake. Not my will, but yours be done. And he come back to the three of them, and he was like, "Hey, what are you guys doing? Asleep? Oh, you know, sorry, it's been a long day. I meant to get to it. <laughs> it's cold out here. You know how cold it is. It's easy to fall asleep when it's cold like this. Okay, well, you know, you need to pray. I'm gonna we'll go back and pray, and pray, and that your faith may not fail." You know what, the end of this thing is Jesus is agonizing in prayer, conforming his will to the will of the Father. In just a few minutes, Peter, James, and John are going to run through the woods naked, trying to get away from soldiers. And Jesus says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. Right? In a few hours, Jesus is going to say, You have no power over me except that, that which that comes from the Father. And Peter is going to say, I've never known the man. And when you come to the day of the cross, you won't find any of them there, except maybe John, we don't know how far he is away. Prayer, that your faith may not fail. If you're going to worry about your circumstances, you're going to miss prayer entirely. And you're going to wonder, does God even hear? And here's the answer, nope. Not if you're only worried about your will. He hears when you conform to His will, and He acts. You ever heard the verse, God gives us the desires of our heart? Oh, we love that one. God gives us the desires of our heart. Boy, I just got to want it more. God, pretty please. we reminded of the illustration that Jesus used about the persistent widow when she had this need that came up. She was being abused by the system. She went to the unjust judge and and she made a request and the judge said, no way, you're on your own. She went back, no way, you're on your own. She went back, no way, you're on your own. Over and over and over. And she kept going, kept going, kept going. And finally he said, would you shut up already? Sure, I'll help you out. And if we're not careful, we think that what God wants is us to whine and whine and whine and hold our breath and eventually He'll relent. So we've got to be persistent in prayer. If you don't get it the first time, keep praying and you'll get it eventually after all, God wants to give you the desires of your heart. You've got to prove to Him that it's a desire first. But, if, but we've missed that entirely. Jesus isn't comparing the Father to an unjust judge. He's contrasting the unjust judge with the Father. If an unjust judge will relent by persistence, imagine how much better a good Father will give to you. You don't have to beg God for things. You just have to align your heart up with His. That's all. You don't have to beg him just say not my will but yours be done every context where God gives you the desires of your heart every context is when your heart aligns with him When you love His law. When you want to be obedient to that will. So it really is. Prayer is about moving from where I am to seeing the situation the way the Father does and choosing to want what He wants more than what I want. And when you want what He wants, guess what He'll do? Give you the desires of your heart. Because your heart's for Him. Because you're learning to think long and pray long. Not about your moment But about God's exaltation in the world and Him getting His greatest glory. Psalm 46, verse 10 is where I'm going to read. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. There's a, I know it's a very familiar passage of Scripture, but we find two commands here that are of equal importance, but they come in chronological order. Number one, be still and know. So it is in stillness that we can know that He is, that he is God. Okay, so this is a progression. Once we are still, which by the way, we hate, we reject... But it's only in stillness that we can know that He is God. Now that's not rocket science, right? I think about praying long. I think about learning, and you can only do that because you know most of the time it's like we're cast off of a boat and we're just flailing out in the middle of the ocean and you know the best prayer that was ever prayed in Scripture or one of the best prayers ever prayed in Scripture was when Peter, was walking on water and he began to sink. You remember what Jesus prayed? It is awesome. He prayed, "Save me," right? And Jesus reached his hand out and pulled Peter up. That's a great prayer. Jesus, and Peter didn't have to beg, <laughs> right? I don't know, but uh, he didn't have much chance to to beg, I guess. Save me. But as Jesus is teaching us how to uh, pray and. Peter is learning how to pray and we're going to talk about some of the ways that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray and how he modeled prayer before them. Um, stillness. Stillness. I think of Pete of Paul learning to pray long when he is in the Philippian jail. That's Acts chapter 16. It's the jailhouse rock, by the way. Peter, his back's laid open. His hands and his feet are shackled together. He's got... A friend or two in there with him, Paul and Silas for sure. You remember what they're doing? They're praying and they're singing songs. Singing songs. singing songs because they were steel and they were, I don't know, I'm not going to make it up. I don't know what they were thinking. I know what I would think. I cannot believe that my faithfulness brought me to a stinking prison. Lord, what are you thinking? Am I going to be like everybody else that trusted you and ended up losing my head? This isn't where I expected to be. I expected to be winning people to the Lord. I mean, I'm expected to be starting a church here. That's the only reason that I'm here. And so, Lord, you're going to have to show me what you're up to. And, ooh, there it starts, right? And then we start moving. Be still, Paul. You don't know everything. And know that I am God. And immediately, as soon as he knows who is God... He's able to see it from God's perspective and he begins to sing glory, honor, and praise. And at that moment, God gave Paul the desires of his heart, shook the prison, he started leading people to Jesus and baptizing them and a church was established because Paul was in prison. Not because Paul was comfortable and got the promotion. But he used his devastation for the glory of God. Be still and know that I am God. Well, I'm going to shift here from Psalm 46 in Hebrew, and I'm going to shift to the Latin translation because it really matters. Okay. So the the be still is actually what it means in Hebrew is to stop or to cease, to knock it off. But the translation in Latin, I think, gives us a much better understanding in our own context. It actually is the word vacate, to get away, right? So what God is actually telling Israel to do in Psalm 46 when they are overwhelmed and struggling, they're no doubt looking at battle, here's what God tells them to do. You know what? Just take a vacation. That's what you need to do. You just need to get away for a little while. Isn't that awesome to think that God would look at people who are only focused on their own situation, He would say, here's the remedy. You just need a break. Take a vacation. Now, let's take that understanding of the word vacate and go back over into Hebrew. What God is actually telling them is, it must be so tiring for you to be God all the time. So in control of your life, manipulating your circumstances for your good. That must get so grueling because you're not built for it. But you spend all your time figuring out your own life. How's that working out for you? Making all your decisions. How's that working out? Here's what you need to do. You need to take a vacation from being God for just a little bit. And when you take a vacation from being God for just a little bit, you'll be able to see me be God a whole lot. Be still, and then you will know that I am God. So it starts with you. It starts with you learning how to move your will, your ambitions, your selfishness into His selflessness. Learning to shift from that direction and then, you will know that He is God. Your, your character and nature will align with His, not asking His to align with yours. And then, everywhere you go, in your neighborhoods, at your work, in your schools, where you do your shopping, up and down uh, the interstate, everywhere you go, what's He say? I will be exalted among the nations. Now that's interesting because I think sometimes we think that well God's going to exalt Himself. No, no, no. He said very clearly in the book of Acts, you will be my witnesses. If there is a witness on earth, it's us. So how is He going to be exalted among the nations? By those of us who have learned to be still and conform our will to His. And it will move from the nations to the entire earth. This is the most redemptive, missions-minded passage, one of the most missions-minded passages in all of Scripture. And where does it start? It starts with you taking a vacation from being God. Quit trying to have all the answers and thinking that your plan is better than His plan. The point of prayer is not you asking God to fix your stuff. It's about you taking a break from fixing your stuff and seeing how God would want you to be a channel of blessing everywhere you flow. Then you won't have to worry about anything in your life. Your primary responsibility is to give the Christ life away everywhere you go. And I know you can't do it. I know that I can't do it. That's why He gave us the Holy Spirit, to produce the fruit of the Spirit in us. And even then, how hard is that? So He gives us spiritual gifts to be able to be superhuman, To be able to do it. And He didn't give you all of them. So that you'd be forced to rely on one another. To be the body of Christ. And it all starts with a well-earned vacation. But we don't have time to vacate from being God. We're too busy taking vacations. Because we're looking for something. Some release. Some relief. From our busyness. And the greatest answer that God has is knock it off and just be with me and learn from me. And I know you think that it's terrible. I know you think that it's heavy, maybe even boring. But my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Learn of me. So this morning... My admonition is super simple. Just knock it off. (sighs) And learn this very plain truth. Nowhere, it's a command, but nowhere in Scripture is praying a burden. Quit beating yourself up for being terrible at it. You're not doing God any favors by praying. Prayer wasn't designed for God. Prayer is God's gift to us. So if you're not using it, you're the only one that's harmed by it. But there is a tremendous tool available for you to be able to look and act more like Jesus than ever before. And it can only be found not from learning more, but from spending time with Him. So cultivate that. Make it an absolute priority. It is the only way to think, live, and act like Jesus Christ it's the only way to true transformation it's the only way that God will be exalted in the earth is when one person stops and just trusts God's plan more than your own plan let's pray together Lord we love you this morning and we're so grateful to be together because we can learn from one another we can teach one another Lord, prayer is so difficult because we, we live in a world and even from children we are taught to be independent learn how to do things for ourselves, and so we we've, we've celebrate that so to, the, the thought the thought of submitting our independence to, to your sovereignty is a difficult thought for us A lot of times we even try to earn your favor by showing you how independent we truly are. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us of our arrogance. Forgive us of our selfishness. And where we're not even aware of it, I pray that you would reveal it to us. Lord, help us to begin to use the gift of prayer. That we would be satisfied with prayer. That we would know that we're becoming more and more like Jesus as a result of it. Lord, I pray that you'd be with this, this room, Lord, as we are all at different places in our relationship with you and with one another. But I pray that you would use us, Lord, to tap into the throne room by the name of Jesus Christ in the Spirit. And I pray that we'd be still and know that you are God. And I pray that the River Valley would know that as a result. I pray that our nation would know that as Christians finally start acting like Christians. And maybe that in our lifetime we'd see the world know you. Because we stopped trying to be God of our own lives. So, have your way with us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.